0: I invite you to open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4 to a very interesting and indeed difficult passage. It's a whole lot going on here, but I found it incredibly helpful. As Paul continues to write to these Christians in Galatia, he's also writing to us. He's a glimpse, peeling back the curtain, if you will, to let us see the types of things a faithful pastor does. I found this passage challenging, to say the least. And now I feel very much on the hook before you all because of what I'm about to share. Some expectations that I'm going to give you from God's Word. Things that you might remind me of later. Actually, that you might remind us of later all of us elders if you're not familiar with where our church is structured I'm a I'm a teaching elder so I'm the one in the congregation with the primary chunk of responsibility for teaching and preaching but we also have ruling elders and that's not a second tier of elder that's not a second class of of leader We're equals. Uh, The the, the pastor of the church is but one of many elders. The first among equals, if you will. the, The leader of the pack, but it is a pack of equals nonetheless. So, as we glean from Paul these qualities of a faithful pastor or shepherd or elder, those terms get used interchangeably in the New Testament. We need to be thinking in terms of the plural number of men that God has blessed this congregation with to lead our church and the expectations aren't just for the elders. Subject of this passage is about being faithful leaders of God's church but also about being faithful members of the flock so don't let yourself off the hook too quickly. Got lots to dig into. Stand if you're able. For the reading of God's Word, Galatians chapter 4, verses 12 through 20. Brothers and sisters, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and on, not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. May God add his blessing to the hearing and teaching of this, his inspired, inerrant, Infallible and authoritative word. Let's pray together. Oh God, on on any morning the request would be for your help, for your assistance, for your sifting of my words so that only your truth remains. But Lord, especially this morning, especially with a passage like this, especially with some hard things to say from this passage, some hard things to hear. Oh Lord, would you be present and would you help? Would you allow the grass indeed to wither away, to fade, and your words to be the only thing that lasts and resides in our hearts and our minds at the end of this? We pray in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Please be seated. So what do faithful pastors do? There's an outline in the worship folder to help you follow along. The first thing that faithful pastors do is they have a genuine love for the people they lead. As you read through this letter, there is, there's deep theology here there are deep things about the truth of the gospel of Jesus that Paul so desperately wants the Galatians to get right. He wants them to get the gospel right. But it's not about being right. That's not Paul's motivation here. It's easy to see throughout the letter, and especially in these verses. Paul is adamant about getting the gospel right because he loves these Galatian Christians. He loves them and he's torn up over the thought of them throwing it all away. And believing a false gospel which really is no gospel at all. We see his love in a couple of ways here. First is in the language that he uses. Verse 12 it's brothers, and I read the footnote into there because I think it belongs brothers and sisters. Because in, in the Greek, that word is, is plural for the siblings in a family. Male and female. Verse 19, he refers to them as my little children. And these are not just cutesy ways of addressing them. This is what he feels for them in his heart. He does feel brotherly affection For them, he does feel fatherly care and concern for them. He does even feel like a mother in pain and agony waiting to see them birthed into the family of God. You can see it in his language, but you can also see it in what he does. Look again at verse 12. Now, we'll get to the imitating Paul part in a minute, but look at this other part first. He says, I became like you. What does that mean? In, in what way did Paul come become like these Galatians before they became Christians? Paul tells us in his own words in 1 Corinthians 9 exactly what he's thinking about here, exactly what he means when he says, I became like you. He says, to the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became one as under the law, though not being myself under the law. That I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, that is, Gentiles, pagans who weren't given the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. Not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. That I might win those outside the law. See, Paul could have just come with his gospel and said, all right, here it is. Here's the gospel, believe it or don't. Here's the truth of the gospel, take it or leave it. But that's not what he did. He said, I've got this glorious gospel of hope and of peace with God. How can they best hear it? What can I possibly do to aid their hearing of this glorious gospel of grace? See, for a, a, for a Jew to become a Christian, that's one thing. They've got a lot of background. They've got, a, they've got a knowledge of Yahweh up and running. They're down with monotheism. One God. We're good with that. They're already aware of the laws and the sacrifices and the ceremonies And how these things were foreshadowing and prefiguring a Messiah who would come one day. And so, for the Jews, what Paul has to do is just connect the dots. And say, behold the Lamb of God who's come to take away the sins of the world. See how He fulfills all these things perfectly. See how He is the Passover Lamb. And He's come to take away, to bear your sins to the cross. That's what He was doing. And so, Paul is connecting the dots. But for non-Jews... For Gentiles, such as these Galatians, pagans, polytheists, there weren't even dots to connect. And so Paul had to do something quite different. Nothing different about the gospel itself. But the delivery and his approach and his address, custom-tailored to their hearing. He had to get into their heads to know how they understood and perceived the world around them and go from there. And he did that. And he did it because he loved them. He did it because he thought they were worth the time and the effort. Faithful pastors love the people. And when they don't naturally and automatically love the people... They cry out to God for help. Did you know that some of you are easier to love than others? True story. (laughs) Very often in our session meetings, we labor over you all in prayer. But we're also praying for ourselves as elders, as shepherds. Lord, give us wisdom. Give us direction and give us a love for the sheep. Help us to love them as we ought. Because we know that faithful pastors, elders, shepherds have a genuine love for the flock. Now... Because Paul loved these Galatians and he brought the truth of the gospel to them in a way that they could understand, they received it. And a deep, loving relationship was formed between Paul and the Galatians. But something happened. Something changed in their relationship. You can see it in, in verses 15 and 16. The first thing he asked them is, well, what's become of this, of this blessedness? Which is large, a little hard to figure out what he's talking about there. But most likely, the smart Bible scholars that I read said most likely this is talking about the, the blessing that the Galatians had once pronounced on Paul. In the sense of, you have brought us this glorious gospel. You have brought us good news of how we can have peace with God. Blessed are you. May God bless you for having brought us this gospel of peace and of hope and of grace. But this relationship is now In danger, and it's in danger because of a false gospel that the Judaizers, these these false teachers, have been spreading and teaching, saying, Jesus isn't quite enough. He's a good start, but you need to add your obedience to the law in order to complete your salvation. And so, Paul, of course, has to bring a strong rebuke to these Galatian Christians. And when the Judaizers around saw how strongly Paul spoke to the Galatians, how it may have even seemed harsh. I'm sure the Judaizers were quick to say, look how angry he is with you. Look how he's talking to you. You don't have any relationship with him. He's your enemy. So, how can things be patched up? Faithful pastors also live out the gospel as an example. So, look at verse 12. Paul's command to the Galatians become as I am. Now, it's interesting. It's very interesting. This is the very first thing that Paul tells the Galatians to do. In the whole letter. We're in the middle of chapter 4, and here's the very first imperative command of him telling them, you need to do this. Here's something you need to do. He's expressed his concern, his bewilderment. He's, He's reiterated the truth of the gospel over and over and over again what the purpose of the law is and what it's not. But this is the first thing he actually says to them, hey, do this, and what does he tell them? He says, imitate me. And so the question, of course, is, well, what has Paul done that the Galatians would be wise in following his example? We don't have to think too long and hard about it. Paul's very explicit in lots of places in the Scripture. I think one of his other letters, where he is talking about what a super Jew he was. How amazing he was at being a Jew and dotting the I's and crossing the T's. I think this is what he wants them to to emulate. Uh, Philippians chapter 3. He's gone on and on about how great he is at being a Jew. And then he says this. Be like me, Paul says. Be like me. Find your righteousness only in what Christ has done for you, not in what you think you can accomplish for yourselves. Enjoy the freedom and the liberty that adopted sons have. Don't go back to being a slave. Faithful pastors live out the gospel before their people. They live out what it means to be free from the tyranny of the law. They live out a joyful, adopted by the king, sonship before them. Number three, faithful pastors make much of Jesus and his gospel. Now there are two really big things here. The first is that faithful pastors make much of Jesus and his gospel instead of making much of themselves. Verse 17. This is a little convoluted, but we're going to unpack it. So hang with me. They make much, they being the Judaizers, they make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. All right, so here's what's going on. Remember, we've got the Judaizers, these Jews who claimed faith in Christ, but they were coming to these new Galatian converts, non-Jews, and saying, you're not really fully Christians yet. You got a good start. Faith in Jesus, that's cute. We'll take that. But what you really need to go whole hog." Uh uh-huh, that's a pun, I guess, (laughs) is the law of Moses and is to not go whole hog (laughs) and to be circumcised. See, that's the shutting them out. That they're excluding these Galatian Christians, telling them you don't belong so that They could say, if you want to really belong, be like us. We're the example to follow. We've dotted all the I's. We've crossed all the T's. See how excellently we've performed. Look at us. Look at us. Look at us. That's the making much of them part. So that finally the Judaizers would make much of the Galatians in return and heap on the accolades, the pats on the back, the good job, you've arrived, we knew you could do it. And what they're doing is sick. Where is all the focus in that? own man Jesus is stripped of what rightfully belongs only to him it's sick because the teachers and the led astray followers are finding their hope and their significance in themselves and in their performance rather than in the finished work of Christ The Judaizers are saying, hey, look at all these followers we've got now. Aren't we great? See, they need to be needed. They need to be followed. And the Galatians have been led astray, and they take their hope and their confidence from the attaboys and to keep up the good work. No wonder Paul is about to lose His mind over this. Paul, for whom the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, this beautiful Savior, who has become Paul's all in all, this Jesus has been pushed out to the margins replaced by a focus on man. And Paul will have none of it. He can't. He knows Jesus is worthy. He knows his gospel is complete, that it's true. He says, don't you dare add anything to it. See, with the Galatians, the truth of the gospel is at stake. And Paul has to say some hard things. He has to rebuke. He has to correct. And he has jeopardized his relationship with the Galatians over it. But he was willing to do it. He said this relationship, it's not worth having if it means the Galatians will throw away the gospel in the process and damn themselves to hell. It's not worth it. The relationship is worth being risked. I'm using one of Tim Keller's commentaries for Galatians, and I love what he had to say about this part of the passage. The gospel frees us from the need for people's approval and adoration so that we can confront and anger the people we love if that is what is best for them. If you love a person so selfishly, that is, if you love them to get something out of that relationship, if you love a person so selfishly that you cannot risk their anger, you won't ever tell them the truth they need to hear. So what if I'm talking to you? And what if I hear in what you're saying that you're trusting your performance? You're trusting your good deeds. You're trusting your to-do list that you've been dutifully checking off instead of what Christ has done for you. Do I dare risk our relationship? Do I dare risk angering you? Faithful. Pastors make much of Jesus and his gospel. They do it instead of making much of themselves. And they do it despite the risks, despite the potential cost to the relationship. Number four, faithful pastors see Christ-likeness as the highest goal of the people. What is the point of being a Christian? What's the goal? What, what's the finish line? Is it just getting through those pearly gates? Or is there something more? And if there's more, should that not affect what a pastor does with the flock? It has certainly affected what Paul does with his flock. It has caused him to lovingly but firmly confront and rebuke his flock for abandoning the gospel. Not so that they might have orthodox theology. But so that they might have Christ conformity. Get that. That's the point here. It's not just so that we've got theology buttoned up and squared away and that we're on the right side of the Bible. The point is that we would be conformed to Christ. Look at, at verse 19. Right, Paul is in agony. My little children, for whom I'm again in the anguish of childbirth until... Christ is formed in you. He so badly wants to see this happen. He knows it has to happen. He knows that's God's good design for this whole thing. Romans 8:29 is the verse after one of the most popular verses in all of scripture. But it's a lesser-known verse. Now, I'll give you the whole thing on the screen in context because they are tied together, right? And we know, and boy, do we love this verse, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. And sometimes we we get tripped up right there In the theological quandary and what all that entails to be predestined. And we get hung up there and we miss that, oh, there's a purpose clause right after that big theological debacle. The whole purpose for the whole kit and caboodle is that we would be conformed to the image of his son. That's a purpose statement for which all the other stuff came before. Christ conformity is the goal, and it will not happen if you abandon the gospel. Christ conformity will only happen through the gospel. See, you don't come to look like and live like and love like Christ simply by imitation You don't get there simply by trying to keep the Ten Commandments. You get there through the transforming power of Christ living in you by faith. We've already seen that beautifully and clearly earlier in this letter, Galatians 2.20. Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So if that is the point, if that is the goal, conformity to Christ, then that goal must affect what faithful pastors do with the flock in every regard. So, for example, thinking through, all right, what are the things that we as pastors and shepherds and elders do? Here's a good one. We make hospital visits. Okay? So when I or one of the elders comes to visit you, why are we there? What's our purpose in being in that room in that moment? Is it so that you might be comforted? I feel so special they came to see me. Is it so that we can go to pray for relief from your pain, for healing from your disease? All those things may happen in the process of the visit. But let me assure you, and I hope this doesn't come off sounding too callous, but I assure you as a minister of the gospel... That when I'm there in that room with you, your comfort is not my priority. Your relief and your healing aren't my priority either. Because frankly, I don't even know if that's what God wants. He might not want to heal you, He might want to take you home instead. I can't know for certain what he wants in that circumstance, in that situation. I can't know those things, but what I can be certain of, what I can know beyond a shadow of any doubt at all, is that God wants to conform the person in that bed or the person sitting in that chair next to their loved one in the bed, God wants to conform that child to the image of his son. God will spare no expense until Christ is formed in the heart and life of that person. That's what I can know for sure. And so when I enter that hospital room, I'm praying, Lord, how are you going to use this illness? Or how are you going to use this this pain, this suffering, this problem, how are you going to use that for your glory? And how are you going to use it to conform this child of yours to the image of your son? Because remember, remember the famous verse that comes first, it is true, right? God does work all things, even the hard things, for your good, For your being conformed to the image of his son, not necessarily for your good, meaning comfort. He works even through things we don't understand, through disease, through delays, through detours. Did you see that in verse 13? How Paul even worked and how God even worked in this situation? Sovereignly, working all things together for good. Verse 13, right? You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. Galatia wasn't on Paul's agenda. He wasn't heading there with a plan to spread the gospel and plant churches. But God knew. God had a plan for the Galatians. And so we don't know exactly what it is. But something happened with Paul's health that either forced a detour to Galatia or a delay in Galatia. And guess what? The gospel got preached and churches got planted and people got saved. God was masterfully working his plan for the good of all involved. Faithful pastors remember this. They they orient what they do around God's goal and purpose of conforming you The image of his son. Now, what about you? Enough about me, let's talk about you. Now, initially, I had a list of several things. All right? Things that you can probably guess what they are just by gleaning through this passage. A lot of them are sort of hand in glove with some of the things that the faithful pastors are supposed to do. But one on the list just kept jumping out at me as if the Lord just kept putting his finger on it. And it's this. Faithful members of the flock gladly receive the message from God's messenger. Even when, especially when, It's hard to hear. Faithful members of the flock gladly receive the message from God's messenger even when it's hard to hear. Now, admittedly, even as those words come out of my mouth, they sound a little self-serving, don't they? But it's important. It's what the Galatians needed to do. See, initially, how they had received Paul and his message? Gladly. Open arms, open hands, open hearts, open ears. But now, they have put themselves in grave danger. And Paul had to come with a strong rebuke. And the question is, could they, would they hear it? Would they receive it? Need to let you in on something. Your session, as we meet together, we are currently struggling over, praying over, agonizing over situations in our church right now with our members where folks are in danger. And we're quite possibly a strong word. Will need to be said a warning given, a a correction issued, an an admonishment, yes, even maybe a a rebuke. Can you will you receive it? Will you know? that it comes from our genuine love for you that we're begging the Lord to provide for us? Will you know that it comes because we want to make much of Jesus and his gospel? Will you receive it? Can you hear it because you know that we're committed to God's number one purpose for you and that's that Christ would be formed in you? Elders, will we be faithful and courageous to deliver the hard word? Will we risk the relationship for the sake of the gospel? And flock, will you receive it? as coming from the Lord and from His love for you. By His grace, may it be so. Let's pray. Oh, Father, how we need Your grace to abound in all of this. None of these elders and I am at the top of the list and be faithful to anything that you've called us to if you don't come with supernatural help. And Lord, I'm quite sure that this flock can't hear the hard word unless your grace goes before. Unless your spirit goes before to open ears and hearts. To quell anger before it can rise up hurt, confusion, whatever the case may be. Oh, we need an outpouring of your grace. The courage to speak the word, the willingness to hear it. The love that we have to have in the first place before we'd even risk such awkwardness and discomfort. We'll only do it if we love. We'll only do it if we're committed to the gospel of Jesus and making much of him and it. So, oh God, would you pour out your grace in abundance how we desperately need it. We pray in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Would you please stand?